Hello, everybody. This is Zach back here with Clutch Crew Sports. Uh, I've got the mic, uh, the camera on again today, so you guys get to see me record. Uh, my co-hosts do not wish to have their faces on for this episode, which is fine. Um, we got a lot of stuff on the screen here, so it's uh, it'd be hard to fit all the faces on. Ooh, but there's one. <laughs> <laughs> Very briefly. <laughs> um. So this is an interesting week uh, for college football and pro football. Personally, I was not uh, able to watch any of the college games, so I'm going to be relying heavily this episode on Connor and Eric for watch for their analysis on the college games. Uh, Connor's actually said that he watched more college this week than any week that he can really remember. Um, and then the NFL-wise, we watched a couple similar games between each other, but... Uh, some also some different ones and and we're pretty comfortable talking about a lot of those different games. Uh, so with that being said, guys, let's get started here on the college games. So Utah and USC. This was a, a Friday game before the normal games on Saturday, and USC actually came up with the upset, thirty to twenty-three, and we all got that one wrong. Uh, Utah was favored by four. And the next game, Air Force and Boise State. Boise State won 30-19. We all got that one right. And then Southern Miss played Alabama. And the route that we expected happened. Alabama won 49-7. And we all got that right. And then another route that we expected, although I didn't expect it to be this, in, I mean, 66-38 to 38 was the final score. LSU beat Vanderbilt. Uh, I didn't expect LSU to score that much, but I also didn't expect them to give up that much. But nonetheless, we all got that one right. And then Tennessee at number nine, Florida. This obviously was a game that Eric watched, uh, being a Tennessee fan, as long as myself. Uh, but Florida really really won this game 34 to 3 easily <laughs> that right um eric i'll let you talk about the the thing that you want to talk about for this game here so. yeah tennessee had a lot of miscues in this game they actually i don't even if they'd been able to take advantage of some of the opportunities they had i still don't think they would have won this game but it could have at least been a lot better than 34 to 3 they actually forced like three or four turnovers but then it seemed like every time they got a turnover they turned the ball right back over to Florida so it was a really hard game to watch but one thing I wanted to mention about this game though was in the last episode I had a bit of a rant about the targeting rule and how I felt about it and everything but there were a couple games this week where I saw some targeting calls and I felt like this time the refs got it right, whereas in the Kentucky-Florida game last week, I ranted about a targeting call both on a Florida player and on a Kentucky player. But in the Tennessee game, there was a targeting call initially made on a Vols player that really didn't look like targeting to me, and I was about ready to start ranting about it again. <laughs> they When they reviewed it, they they determined that it wasn't and they reversed it. And so they changed it from targeting and to no penalty and the player got to stay in the game. And I, I mean, I don't watch a ton of college football, but that was 
probably the first time I can remember where a targeting call actually got reversed. And so I like that they used the opportunity to review it. And we're not going to put the clip up of anything and, like, analyze it all like we did last time. But I liked that. And then then transitioning into the next game, which is the Michigan-Wisconsin game, uh, while I did not actually really watch much of this game, there was a play I saw where a Wisconsin a Wisconsin player just destroyed Michigan's quarterback as he was running, and I don't remember if his helmet got knocked off or not, but, I mean, it was a really hard hit to the head, and you could tell the Michigan player was concussed, and that was one where – and then the refs called targeting, reviewed it. It was – clearly obvious and the Wisconsin player got ejected so from what I saw with the targeting calls this week I felt like in both of those two games that the refs were really spot on with it and so that made me feel a lot better about the rule as opposed to how I felt about it last week so uh, no ranting on the targeting rule for me this week (laughs) (laughs) that's good maybe you and and we're like we gotta step up our game on these targeting calls now that Eric is uh Eric's maybe, ranting about. Maybe, maybe one of those twenty one YouTube views last episode I was in was uh, uh, a college football referee. They were words getting out there. <laughs> yeah, no, I I try you know because uh, I actually was a referee in high school um, for a couple of years and Nate was too he's not on this episode but he was a referee too and i don't think we ever ref together in the same game but he knows the experience of being a ref like i do and it's hard it's hard to to you know when you make these calls it's not always an obvious call and a no call making a no call is just as much you know just as much pressure as a making a call so I and that was just like little kids in flag football, and this is like grown up men playing football. Like there were a couple times where we refed, uh, where I was like a sophomore in high school, and we were refing like seniors and stuff. They were bigger than us, and we were refing people actually, you know, bigger than us. But um, but that was rare. It was mainly younger kids, and it was it was still kind of hard to to referee. Uh, you got to really be on your game, and it's really something that you that takes skill and practice and stuff. So I always try and be more considerate to refs um, than I think most people are. Most people are easy to bash them and stuff, but they really don't go whenever they get something right. Like whenever they make you know they make a call and it was like so close, but they got it right. Um, People never really appreciate that. They only tend to look at when they get something glaringly wrong. So that's why last week I was kind of trying to defend referees. You know, maybe there's a couple bad apples, but for the most part, they're doing the best they can. But uh, so that that's my stance on that. So I, as you know, I definitely have a lot more respect for refs from from being one myself. But anyways, the next one, the next game here, number 11, Michigan at number 13, Wisconsin. Wisconsin ended up winning 35 to 14. Uh, They gave up their first points of the season. 
but it wasn't even until like the third quarter, I believe. So they they had like a two and a half game streak going there. But Connor was the only one that got this one wrong, and this this was pretty significant for college football playoff. Uh, you know who's in, who's out, and this really solidifies Wisconsin as a contender, I think, and it pushes Michigan back and takes them kind of out of the picture. And uh, well, they're, cer- they're certainly not out of it yet. Yeah, yeah, Connor. I know you you want to talk about this one. With- yeah, well, I mean, you know, like Michigan's certainly not out of it yet. I mean, because obviously it's going to be tough because what they're going to have to do is they're going to have to go and beat. Penn State, they're going to have to beat Ohio State, and then in all likelihood, they're going to have to beat Wisconsin again in the Big Ten title game if they make it, because, I mean, we all know that the Big Ten West is far a far inferior division to the Big Ten East, because the East has uh, Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, and Michigan, whereas the West just has Wisconsin. I mean, Iowa's ranked this year, too, but, I mean, they're really not yeah. up, to, up to the level of the of the east so i mean we'll i mean i think it's michigan i think i read an interesting article about that michigan's trying to find their identity so i know i said this i picked michigan to make the college football playoff and i'm obviously feeling a lot worse about that now but um it's like the fact that michigan just can't win the big games i mean they were getting destroyed until the third quarter i mean and even then i'm sure wisconsin was probably playing pretty light anyway but, like, when they was, you know, early in the game, Michigan just could not do anything. I mean, that, that Michigan defense that's supposed to be really good was letting Jonathan Taylor run all over them. And, um, you know, they just couldn't get anything going on offense. I'm sure it didn't help that their quarterback almost got his head blown off. But, yeah, um, you know. That was pretty late in the game, though. I mean, I, I oh, okay. it wasn't, oh, okay. like, first quarter and – Maybe it was really early or something. Like it, yeah. I want to say it was like third or fourth quarter when that happened. Yeah. So, but um, yeah, I, that, that's the thing. Like I said, Michigan's not out of it, but I mean, it's certainly going to be tough. And obviously, Wisconsin. I mean, they moved up to number eight in the last AP poll. So if they can keep it going, then because they they do have to play Ohio State this year, so I don't see any reason why. Wisconsin doesn't make the isn't a contender if they went out for sure. Oh yeah, so. if they go undefeated. They're they're making. It. Oh yeah, well, I mean even if they um, lose one game though, like I think they're still in it because they have this win over Michigan, and as long as they can beat Ohio State, which they might have to play yeah. Ohio State, they might have to play them twice if it goes to the Big Ten title game. But you know, so yeah. all right. So moving on here, Cal at Ole Miss here, and Cal won twenty eight twenty. And Nate was the only one getting this one wrong. And you might have seen or heard about this one in its controversial ending. So just, we're gonna... as, just, just as we were praising the refs, we're about to rip on them again. Yeah. And I, <laughs> yeah, I, this one is, is pretty bad because you, you have to, I mean, I'll show this before I start talking about it, but this, this one, yeah, this one should have been better. So I'll play this here for you guys on YouTube. All right, so if you look at the clock here, that's the big thing. It's running now. There's no time the house to be used. Fourth and goal, and just kind of a busted play. Nobody knows really what to do. This guy thinks he's got the ball. He's going down for a touchdown. He's the, <laughs> uh, Ole Miss is in shock. 
And really, I wish there was a... Let me slow it down a little bit. Maybe that'll make it better. But uh, I wish I could see an angle from where this ref is looking because he has a perfect, perfect view of where it is. And maybe this is one where maybe they got it right, but still, even if you're confident that you got it right with the stakes, with the game literally on the line here, it's not like this is like the third quarter or anything like that. Like this is do or this is game winning right here, game winning, game losing for either team. And I think Ole Miss, you know, has a, has a right to complain about not getting a review call play. I'll pause the start of the video here. So, I mean, it's really hard to tell. Well, I think the another interesting thing to note, though, about that official is that mm-hmm. you mentioned he has the perfect view, but if you watch the clip, the ball's on the other side. Like, the Ole Miss player's back is to him. He can't see the ball okay. very, perfectly clearly. Like, if you look at that. Yeah, let um, me go back. Yeah, like, he can like when he rolls over, yeah, the ball is in front of him. But right there, his back is to the official right there. Yeah. And, like, in the way I was looking at it, like, you don't even – if you look at his leg, like, the ball looks like it's right on the line, which, you know, the rules are if it even scrapes that line, then it's a touchdown, like, no matter where it is. Mm-hmm. So – Look um, at this guy running up here. <laughs> <laughs> he's, getting his, he's getting his workout on right now. Boom, well, boom, like, boom. He, look at him. <laughs> well, he's like he, he's got to place the ball, man, because the clock's still running. I know this is the unsung heroism of Ressa. Look at look at him of going through people, picking up the ball. <laughs> he's like a player. He's got the athleticism of a player. Let's watch this again. How <laughs> we're showing this ref. Give me that ball. <laughs> I mean, I didn't notice that before, but look at him. He comes darting out of here. This is in slow speed too. <laughs> <laughs> He He's is playing play in full speed. See how fast he was actually moving. Yeah, let me, let me go back. Well, he should he shouldn't have been that far back. He should be moving up right now after the play is over. He should have. He should How we're critiquing the ref here? We're critiquing every aspect of this play. All right, so uh, let's put on normal speed and watch this. All right, what? Start moving. Oh, like, oh, now oh, I. Got oh, 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 oh. <laughs> <laughs> He's just kind of walking. He's just kind of walking nonchalantly. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, th- I think I think in his mind he was probably thinking that it was going to get called a touchdown, but yeah. then he was oh. like, it wasn't. Then he was like, oh crap, I got to place the ball because <laughs> Ole Miss doesn't have any timeouts and the clock's running down. Yeah, but yeah. Wow. I mean, it's just crazy as to why that wasn't re- like why the clock wasn't stopped and it was reviewed. Because I mean, if it was reviewed, like even if it was called back. Like, and there was a 10-second runoff. There was still 13 seconds, like, right when that play was blown dead. So mm-hmm. Ole Miss would have still had a chance to – I mean, not saying they would have won the game because, obviously, they were down by eight. So they needed a touchdown and a two-point yeah. conversion just for overtime. But it would have at least given them a chance. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I don't see any reason as to why they didn't – I mean, because, like I said, since his back was to him, it's like I guess that official was just, like, 100% sure in his mind, like, oh, yeah – but of course, all the Ole Miss fans are complaining because the refs that the refs refereeing the game were Pac-12 referees. So, I mean, I know they're calling favoritism for Cal because the refs were Pac-12 refs. But I mean, you know, you'd hear the same thing on the other side if there were SEC refs in the game, and like Cal was in this position, they'd be calling favoritism. So, like, I don't think that has anything to do with it. But 
it should have been reviewed. Just a bad sequence there. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, the only thing I can think of is maybe like they didn't want to. They were kind of getting tired. They didn't want to go to overtime. <laughs> that's <laughs> really bad though. You should be fired. Hopefully <laughs> that wasn't the case. That <laughs> I will admit there were times in uh, when I refereed like uh, not like a game deciding thing like that. Like those were fun sure. games. No, no, no. <laughs> most most eight year old games are are over by the first five minutes. Like uh, I'll say that. Like it's the talent disparity is is huge, but. I mean, if there's times where there's, like, a running clock, like, we've had, like, well, like the white hat would be, like, okay, you know, let's shave a minute here, a minute there, just to get this game over with. <laughs> God. Uh, but... Sometimes I feel like the umps were like that when I played Little League Baseball. Like, they just start calling strikes on whatever, because they're like, I want to get out of here. I want this yeah. kid, to, this kid yeah. to strike out, or, if like, it, calling out. If it was uh, actually a a close game then like yeah then then we take it much more seriously we wouldn't do that but if it's a blowout game you know we'll, we'll shave a minute here or there like <laughs> well actually real quick story i remember when i was still playing uh you know youth football when i was this is when i was 12 and i was on a team where we had already like won the game up to this point but like my whole time when i played football <clears throat> i'm losing my voice when i played football i was a defensive player so like over the course of you know you don't there's you don't get hardly any pick sixes or anything in youth football. So I hadn't scored a touchdown the whole time the like whole six years I had played. So like we were already up big in that game. So we were down by the goal line and I went in and got like did like a quarterback sweep and like like went and got a touchdown. I was happy because like you know first touchdown I ever scored and yeah. it was like my it was, and it was my last season playing too. So that's why they did that. But. I remember after the game, the refs, like, came up to my dad, who was the head coach, and they were like, yeah, like, in that situation, like, you need to be kneeing the ball. Like, you can't be trying to, like, run up the score like that. And they got all pissed because we, like, went for that touchdown, and we didn't kneel it instead. Wow. <laughs> I'm like, okay. well, so I'm like, well, screw you. I'm happy. I got a touchdown, so. I would yeah. never go out to a team and say that. Usually it's, I mean, I would see, like, the other coach maybe go up to the other coach well, and be like, no, hey, it, tone it down a bit. It, like, it, it yeah. wasn't the refs. It was the league that actually – Oh, okay. Yeah, no, it, it wasn't the refs, but the league, like, came to him and was like, yeah, you got to, like, kneel the ball in that situation because they're like, oh, it's, like, unsportsmanlike. You're running up the score. I'm like, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, at least you got your touchdown. <laughs> well, I got, I, funny enough, I got a second one, too, when I – it was a QB sneak and I fumbled the snap. And, like, my, my dad, being the head coach, had, like, a heart attack, but it – thankfully fell at my feet and I was able to pick it up and dive in. Wow. <laughs> That's pretty dramatic. Yeah. Like, I, like the, my, I was like, thankfully I didn't panic. Like I panicked for a second. Cause I was like, oh crap. I like fumbled the snap yeah. on the goal line, but like I said it fell, it fell right at my feet. So I was able to pick it up and dive in. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> All right. We're learning stuff new about each other every day. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Miami of Ohio in the next game against Ohio State, 76-5 win for Ohio State. They clearly, clearly were the better team, and we all got that right. Interesting uh, fact, Ohio, uh, Miami of Ohio was up 5 to nothing in that game, and then Ohio State scored 76 unanswered. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so they had hope for at one point, but okay. Uh, number 8, Auburn at 17, Texas A&M. Auburn won 28-20, and I was the only one who got that wrong. Um, 
And I I really did get it wrong because I thought Texas A&M was gonna was gonna really shut down Auburn offensively. Uh, I thought it'd be too much for a freshman quarterback, but uh, it clearly wasn't. So yeah, I mean Auburn pretty much controlled that game. I mean, like the score, you know, it's like an eight point score, but Texas A&M really wasn't in that game at all. I mean. I was like, I didn't watch a whole lot of it, but I was keeping track of it. And I was like, yeah, like Auburn is destroying them right now. Texas A&M can't get anything going. And like their kicker, Texas A&M's kicker missed a field goal too, like early in the game. And just kind of set everything in motion to Texas A&M's downfall in that game. There was also an interesting stat, though, that came up that like, but Auburn's won like three or four straight games at Kyle Field. Well, I didn't even know that. But Auburn's like four and zero against Texas A&M on the road, like since Texas A&M has the SEC. Weird. They're like four and zero or three and one at Kyle Field. That's bizarre. Um, yeah. uh, but the next game here, number fifteen UCF at Pitt, and this was another big upset. Uh, Pitt won thirty-five to thirty-four, and I was the only one getting this one wrong. And we're gonna show you guys the game-winning play here. The, Nate, uh, Nate picked against his team. I know. <laughs> well, on, on the on the spread, I'm sure. I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll yeah. give him that. I'm sure he picked against the spread, but <laughs> yeah. So look at this. Oh, oh, oh. oh the quarterback! <laughs> uh, it's the Philly special. <laughs> uh, yeah, I immediately thought that when I saw this. I was like, "Holy crap!" Pitt is like running the Philly special. Uh. Yeah, but then, like, after the game, they talked to the coach, and he was like, oh, I'm renaming it the Pitt Special. So, <laughs> um, yeah, was, I mean, the thing, Pitt was actually, UCF had to come back in that game, because Pitt was actually up 21 to nothing at one point. And I was like, man, you know, like, I didn't, you know, I was putting my faith in Pitt that they were going to have another scare, because we were like, you know, I don't know if they're going to, like, have this scare two weeks in a row, but then I saw they were up 21 to nothing. I'm like, man, Pitt might be legit. Like I'm, inter- I'm really interested to see what happens. I don't know if Pitt ends up playing Clemson this year or not, because I know they're in separate divisions. But <clears throat> if they do end up playing Clemson at some point, like maybe if it's a Clemson Pitt ACC championship game again, I think Pitt will put up a much bigger fight this time than they did last time. I and mean, obviously Clemson is, you know, probably far and away better than UCF. But I don't think it's going to be like last year where everybody just completely wrote Pitt off. I think they're yeah. actually going to have somewhat of a chance. Maybe the spread will only be 16 points instead of like 25. <laughs> yeah, remember when? Uh, remember when Nathan Peterman beat Deshaun Watson that pit versus yeah. Clemson that time? That was crazy. But his draft stock went soaring after that. Yeah. Um, the next game, Washington at BYU. Washington took care of business, 45-19. I was the only one who got that right. Uh, SMU at TCU, the Texas Christian schools playing each other, and SMU won by a field goal, 41-38. We all got it wrong. Number 16, Oregon and Stanford. Oregon won 21-6. We all got it right. Uh, Old Dominion at number 21, Virginia. Virginia won 28-17, and we all got that one wrong. They couldn't cover... They definitely couldn't cover the 30-point spread that they had. Old Old, Old Dominion was winning for, like, two and a half quarters of that game. It's pretty surprising. Mm-hmm. Uh, UNC uh, Charlotte. Charlotte, yeah, okay. 
uh, at number one Clemson. Clemson won 52-10. to 10. And like I said in the last episode, I knew this game was going to come down to one point or half a point either on either side of the spectrum here. And uh, sure enough, Clemson won by 42, and the spread is 41.5. So I, I got that one right. But I know it very close to going the other way around. <laughs> if the spread had been a little bit more or... Uh, UNCC had scored with field goal more or something, something. But fortunate for me to get that right. Obviously, only one. Uh, Oklahoma State at number twelve, Texas. Texas won by six, and they were favored by five. So we all got that one right. And then number seven, Notre Dame at number three, Georgia. Georgia won twenty-three to seventeen, and Connor and I got this one right, and. I'll let Eric or Connor talk about this game. I know this was your both you and Eric's game that you want to look forward to most for the season. So yeah, I mean it was a pretty good game. I, it was mainly a defensive struggle, and I mean you see that Georgia only won by a touchdown, and I think most of the game was. <clears throat> I mean, really, it was Notre Dame shooting themselves in the foot. Like Notre Dame committed so many stupid penalties in that game that kind of kept Georgia in the game because Notre Dame was like, he was, either, he was either Notre Dame winning or Georgia or it was tied for most of the game. And Notre Dame just like kept shooting themselves in the foot, kept committing penalties. Georgia kept staying in it. Um, <clears throat> Cause eventually Jake Fromm took off in the second half and you know, they let, he took Georgia to victory. I mean, Notre Dame still had a chance, but I think it's a lot of people have been like so underestimating Notre Dame this season. I mean, just look at the spread. They were favoring Georgia by 13 and a half. And like, by the time the game started, the spread had evolved to like where they were favoring Georgia by 16. So, I mean, I don't know if Notre Dame with this loss now, if they could make it in the college football playoff or not. I don't know the rest of their schedule, but it's I mean, there's easy. I think. Cause they've yeah, got so... Stanford who is supposed to be good. They're not good. And, uh, I think USC, too, who now is on their third quarterback there. They've got a, an easier schedule. Right, so, so it's like, you know, unfortunately for them, this probably knocks them out of contention. But, you know, like I said, I think everybody was underestimating Notre Dame, and this kind of proved that they're not as bad as everybody thought they were. Like, you know, like, oh, they only made it last year because they went undefeated with an easy schedule. And, like, if they make it this year, it's going to be the same way. Well, they ha- they stuck with the, the number three team in the – league so we'll see yeah uh colorado at number 24 arizona state and the buffaloes won 34 31 and connor and i got this one right nate got it wrong uh ucla at number 19 washington state this was a a basketball looking score here 67 63 (laughs) in favor of ucla they had a late comeback in this we all thought washington state was easily going to cover the spread and then we went to sleep and then woke up the next morning and saw that they actually lost the game. So that's how drastic of a comeback this was for UCLA on the road. Pretty impressive. But Poor, poor Gardner Minshew. He was at the game, too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they would have won if he was playing. <laughs> uh, App State at North Carolina. This is our plus one game of the week. And this was a this was a pretty good plus one game here, a real close game. We all got it right with App State, of course, winning thirty four thirty one. And 
Connor watched this game, obviously. He knows both these teams, so I'll let him him talk about what he thought. Well, uh, Appalachian State's first win against a Power 5 school since 2007, so which might seem pretty surprising. People might not think that, but, you know, they, they've come close to beating Power 5 teams but haven't beaten them. So, um, yeah, a major win for Appalachian State. It puts a big uh, plus mark on our record because, you know, obviously – even if App State were to go 13-0, and like, they're not going to make the college football playoff. But at least it's something to build on to maybe, you know, if they do go undefeated, get a spot in a better bowl game or something like that to show, hey, you know, we, we're not just beating up on Sunbelt teams. We can also beat ACC teams. And, you know, they've got a game against South Carolina later in the year to show if we can beat an SEC team or not. Um, so, I mean, it was mainly... Appalachian State was dominant for most of the game. I mean, the offense was kind of running all over UNC. And, you know, a lot of people were ripping Appalachian State's defense going into this game, which I will say they did start to collapse towards the end of the game. UNC was coming back. But um, the App State defense forced four turnovers, and one of them was a strip sack for a touchdown. So, I mean, I don't think our defense is as bad as everyone thinks they are. And again, we were playing a Power 5 school, so you'd expect them to be a lot better than, you know, some of the teams we play on a regular basis. So, uh, yeah, big, big win for Appalachian State. They've got they've now got 24 votes for the top 25. So, you know, hopefully they can kind of work their way back into that list and not lose the next week after they finally make it in like they did last <laughs> year. <laughs> All right. So. Now that we've gone through all the college games, I wanted to show you guys the standings here for the college games. So right now, I have a five-point lead on Connor, and then Connor's got a two-point, two-game lead on Nate. So still early in the season, but I've got the early lead. Connor's in second place, and Nate is not too far behind in third. And now we'll get to the NFL segment of this show. And so we're going to start out here on Thursday Night Football. Uh, Jacksonville beat Tennessee 20-7. to And Connor and myself got this one right. So this was just a 50-50 split between the group. And uh, Connor and I got it right. So I was surprised that Eric didn't take Jacksonville in this one. Um, but he had told me that, I guess you're here so you can say why. I don't need to say why. Yeah, you <laughs> yeah, I just, going into this game, after the, you know, dramatic loss to Houston, where there was the controversy over whether we should go for two or not, and then Jalen Ramsey was yelling at the coaches and then demanding to be traded, and then adding in the fact that we were playing a Titans team that had beat us like six times in a row or something like that, I just did not have confidence that Jacksonville was going to be able to win this. And obviously I'm out of, if you're looking at YouTube, you'll see it like farther down on the screen there. I've got a good amount of red there, but the uh, Tennessee Jacksonville game, I'm obviously very happy that I got a red uh, and correct yeah. one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it was really exciting to watch because I mean, we got the, fumble on the punt early, which allowed us to get an early lead, but even on the next drive, Jacksonville went right down and got another touchdown, and for the most part, I mean, they were shutting the Titans' offense down. I mean, the Jaguars had, 
I think it was nine sacks in this game. Yep. Eric Henry didn't really get going. He had a, you know, he had some nice runs here and there, but nothing like what he did against us the yeah. last played him. I mean, you know, he was contained for the most part, and I just and really the Jaguars could have even had a little more. I was surprised they didn't kick a field goal there at the end when they went for it on fourth down. I guess they wanted to try to just put it away and make it a three score game, but that, I defend that call. I, I I don't see what the field goal really adds that much benefit. Like you might as well just make it a three score game instead of keep it a two score game. But um and plus if you don't get it, Tennessee's backed on their five yard line. But I, I uh, can like why yeah. they didn't. I mean I personally if if I was coaching, I probably would have just kicked the field goal to go up by Coach six longer. Because then they got a <laughs> Because then at that point yeah. they have they're still going to get the ball deep in their territory off the kickoff, and then they have to get two touchdowns and two two point conversions just to tie it, which that in itself is not very yeah. likely. But and as having Lambo on my family fantasy league team, I would have liked the extra three. Yeah, <laughs> but, but if so, I was so there's, coaching, so there's no bias here at all. <laughs> no, no. But I mean, honestly, when it happened, I was like, why didn't we just get the field goal? But then I was like, well, if we get it, we go up by three scores. So like, I, you know, I I wasn't like mad at it or anything but i i enjoyed watching this game it was nice to see jacksonville respond well after the blowout loss to kansas city and then the tough one point loss to the texans on the road it it was it was nice to see them you know turn it around and respond and get this even though 13 may not look like a dominant victory i mean this overall was a pretty dominant performance by the jack so I, I enjoyed watching it. It was it was a good game for me as a Jags fan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, yeah, so when I was watching it, um, I won't talk too much, but I'll just kind of say some positives and some negatives for the for Tennessee and Jacksonville. So for Jacksonville, the positives I would say Minshew was definitely a positive. He was mainly their offense. Um, DJ Chark has really established himself as I think a number one receiver. Uh, all the drop issues he had last year are gone. I mean, he's making contested catches, Allen Robinson-esque type catches, um, and he's looked really good. So he's a positive. And then Calais Campbell and really the whole defensive line was performing really well. I mean, even Taven Bryan got a sack. So that just tells you how how many sacks were going around. Uh, but Campbell, Campbell had three, and... Uh, in the secondary, I would said AJ Boye had a terrific game. Uh, at one point, the Jaguars Twitter point like posted a picture of like him deflecting a pass, and they put 2.1 in the caption, which is kind of people are like ooh, because Ramsey's whole thing is 2.0. Whenever they show him like two, that's what they always caption 2.0. They did 2.1 for Boye, so people are like oh my god, <laughs> and then. But actually, for the negatives of the team, I I don't think Ramsey played good. He let up a, a big uh, pass to uh, to Tajay Sharp, and he really didn't play like the best corner in the league, like you would think. And then Leonard Fournette didn't have a good game at all. He had negative yards for most of the game until he broke off like a 65-yard carry or something like that. And uh, and so that that's a negative. And then another negative for Jacks was uh, D.D. Westbrook. Didn't play well. He had a couple drops, including a touchdown drop that was placed perfectly by Minshew. And uh, and then for Tennessee, the negatives, offensive line, 
they have to do a better job in their next game than what they did in this game. When they weren't, uh, when Mariota wasn't being sacked, they were being called for holding, which is essentially like a sack. So they got to do better. Mariota's got to do a better job of getting the ball out and avoiding some of these sacks. I'd say it's about 50-50 for the offensive line and 50% of blame on Mariota for holding on too long. And uh, and then Tennessee's defense, though, responded nicely after Jacksonville scored those quick 14 points. They really held the Jags in check on the scoreboard. I mean, there were some scoring opportunities that the Jags missed on, but the defense responded nicely, and Jacksonville had to punt quite a bit. Um, so, you know, Tennessee dominated time of possession thanks to their defense, but the offense really... Uh, scored low marks in my mind. And then moving on to the next game here, Cincinnati at Buffalo. Buffalo won 21-17. We all got that one right. And then Miami at Dallas. Dallas won 31-6. We all got that right. And three of us, excluding Nate, had them for survival. Nate actually had Tennessee for survival, so he lost that one. Uh, But, Eric, you watched a good portion of this game. (laughs) You watched a good portion of this game, so you want to talk about how this was like a tale of two halves? Yeah, it really was. I mean, watching this game, I honestly expected to just be really bored because I figured Dallas was just going to slaughter them. And if you look at the score, that's what you would think would happen. But in the first half, like from the very beginning, Miami's first drive, they went down and missed a field goal. So they could have had a 3-0 lead early in the game, but they missed the field goal. And then, then I think it was seven to three Dallas. Miami kicked a field goal, and then they did an onside kick and recovered it, which would have been amazing. But then they were offsides on the kickoff, so so the the onside kick didn't count. And then they also had a drop in the end zone, like right before halftime, and on that same drive, when they didn't get the touchdown, like it was like one or two plays later. Kenyon Drake fumbled, so they once again, like, missed out on points there. I mean, this game at halftime was only 10-6. to Dallas was not really playing that well. Outside of a touchdown drive on their first drive of the game, offensively, Dallas wasn't really doing anything, and Miami had a lot of opportunities to get a lead, but in the second half, I don't know if Miami was just frustrated because of all the miscues in the first half or what happened, but they just fell apart both offensively and defensively. Like they, it just seemed like they couldn't even get a first down. The Cowboys were getting a lot of, you know, they got three touchdowns in the second half. It was a completely different half, but if there's one thing I've noticed about Dallas, since I've watched all three of their first games, and if I'm a team playing them in the future, my, I mean, obviously this is something you really want to do anyway, but like my goal would be to try to get off to a, as fast a start as possible against them because for, for whatever reason, Dallas in the first quarters of their games have seemed to struggle a little bit, but then as the game goes on, that's when they pick up and get better. So if you can get off to a quick start against them and maybe rattle them a little bit, then I could see you know Dallas losing because of that. But you know, if you get off to a slow start or you, know, you can't capitalize on opportunities like Miami failed to do in this game, then you're not going to beat Dallas. So um, kudos to Dallas for playing strong in the second half and 
you know, playing like not, the way they have. So not, I, not becoming a laughing stock. <laughs> no, and thank you, Dallas, for winning since I used you in my survival pit this week too. <laughs> so thank you for. Yeah, uh, we, we were <laughs> we were all getting worried there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't like super nervous at halftime, but at the same time, I'm like, man, like Miami's played decently in this game. Yeah. Like if they, have, you know, just capitalized on these opportunities, like they might actually be ahead. Like it, it was getting a little concerning for sure. But then Dallas came out in the first drive of the second half for a touchdown. And then it just seemed like, yeah, those fell off from Miami after that. Then that was when the nervousness went down. So <laughs> it went back, it went back to, this is Miami. So I'm not nervous anymore. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it sounds like Dallas kind of plays like me in 2K, where yeah. <laughs> you get better as the game yeah. goes along. That's what I was I thinking mean, when you said that. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so hit or miss. Mine is like a terrible first quarter. That, that's always me. I have a terrible first quarter. Well, that's like me too, man. I, you know, I'm well, like, you, you're more, but then like, I, I'm not like you where like, I'll have a terrible first quarter. Like, I, I won't have a terrible first half and then like come back. Oh, second. I'm usually just like the first quarter. I play really terribly, and then I'll usually have like a pretty decent second quarter. (laughs) Yeah, for me, it's mainly my third quarter. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you are the Golden State Warriors, so you know that's true. (laughs) (laughs) Sharing some info about our 2K my league guys. If anybody (laughs) wants, that's not a like bandwagoner who picked the Warriors. No. We did a fantasy draft. So yeah, I'll, yeah, we, I'll we, we back did, a little defense there. He he randomly got given the Warriors. Yeah. So and yeah and, and like like Eric said, he's not using the Warriors super team. <laughs> I mean, it's a super team now. We won the championship our first year, so we're picking up where we left off. <laughs> but <laughs> uh, that's that's a, we'll get we'll talk about that more about when we get to NBA. We can share that sort of stuff. This is football episode. Um, Denver beat Green Bay twenty-seven to sixteen. We all got that right. Actually, Green Bay beat Denver. Oh, sorry, I said the <laughs> Um Yeah, Green Bay won, and I'm. I was actually a little bit surprised about this because I was talking to Kyle yesterday, and he told me that now he thinks Green Bay is going to lose because we picked them to win. But <laughs> so he thought we were like we were like gonna jinx them here, but so, so Green Bay he, wants, he, he wants us to keep ripping on them. Yeah, well now that they now that we picked them in one, it doesn't stand as much. But uh, Emmanuel Sanders after the game said that he's in a world. This teams are in a world of sucking or something like that. Like so, Denver is is really not. It's not good to be Denver right now. That's for sure. That's what happens um, when you have Flack of Seagulls as your quarterback. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Atlanta at Indy is the next game here, and Indy won 27-24. Uh, Eric was the only one that got this one right. Connor and I watched the game, and my thoughts were Atlanta really couldn't do anything in the first half. Jacoby Brissett was like almost perfect in the first half for Indy. They had a huge lead, and then the second half, Atlanta got going again. They started scoring, and they almost came back and won, but they couldn't stop Indy at the very end. Um, that's kind of like the summary of the game. But Julio Jones had a pretty good game. Matt Ryan really early on had a bad game. He had an interception that was like, who is he throwing it to? It wasn't even like a close interception. 
And for Indianapolis, Brissett played really well in the first half, kind of average in the second half, but he made the important throws when he had to. And Marlon Mack had a pretty good game as well. So those are my – and Austin Hooper for Atlanta also had a big game. But Yeah, I mean, Matt Ryan had a – he had a, actually a really good second half. I mean, first half he looked pretty bad, but second half he kind of looked like his old, you know, Matt Ryan – how Matt Ryan should look, you know. And so, I mean, I think the two biggest issues for Atlanta in this game were, one, I don't think they, well, actually three, now that I think about it, three issues. I don't think they gave the ball to Devontae Freeman enough because, I mean, I know they were in a situation where they really needed to throw it most of the time. But, I mean, Devontae Freeman was torching the Colts' defense on the carries he was getting. And it seemed like they just kept wanting to go back to the air. And I'm like, well, why not hand it off to, I mean, at one point, Devontae Freeman had like five carries for 66 yards <laughs> and it's like why not give it to the guy who's averaging 13 yards a carry right now like why you just keep going back to the air so I think that was the first issue second issue for Atlanta was that they Calvin Ridley was like a ghost in this game I mean I think mm-hmm. Calvin Ridley only had like one catch in the whole game so I mean, at least, I mean, that's not too big of a negative just because Atlanta has so many other playmakers. I mean, like, like you said, Julio Jones and Austin Cooper had good games. Mohamed Sanu had a pretty decent game, too. So, but I mean, I think they need they need to get all of them involved in the game. I mean, if Calvin Ridley is just, you know, completely a ghost, then they can start keying on the other weapons. you got to get all four of them involved. Um, and then also... Lastly, the biggest hit on them, kind of like Notre Dame, they were really shooting themselves in the foot with penalties. I mean, I'm pretty sure they set a franchise record with, like, 17 penalties, and they had, like, 160 yards of penalty yardage or something. It was really bad. So, I mean, when when you lose a game by a field goal like this and you go back and look at, like, what went wrong, well, man, if we had at least cut down, like, cut those penalties in half – like we yeah. probably could have been in a much better position to win the game. Yeah. Yep, I agree with that. Uh, Baltimore at Kansas City. Kansas Kansas City won 33-28. We all got that right. And uh, Eric, were you? I think you were watching this game, uh, so you I, know a little bit about it. I I flipped back and forth mm-hmm. uh, from this game while I was also watching the Cowboys and Dolphins game. I will say, man, I mean, everybody obviously knows this, but Patrick Mahomes is just unbelievable to watch, man. I mean, some of these throws he was making, like, off balance, like, leaning back, like, you would normally think, oh, this is going to be a terrible throw, but he still gets it, like, right on the money. I mean, his arm strength is unbelievable, and I will will give a – I will give kudos, though, to Baltimore for fighting back because at one point Kansas City had a pretty big lead in this game, but Baltimore didn't give up. They fought back, and actually, if they could have gotten a stop on third down, they could have made Kansas City punt and then um, get the ball back, but then they were out of timeouts. There was one point, and I wish I could remember exactly what the score was when it happened, but... Baltimore scored a touchdown and went for two when they. This is really the first did. touchdown. They, well, they, no, there was another one. No, there was a point where they went for two where they really didn't need to. It just it didn't make any sense. And if they had just kicked the extra point, 
when they scored their last touchdown, then they could have kicked an extra point, and then it would have been 33-30 to 30 instead. So then if they could have got the ball back, they would have only needed a field goal. I mean, they ultimately didn't get the ball back at the end, so I guess it didn't really matter. But this, I know there's probably a lot of Ravens fans that are scratching their heads over that, wondering what exactly John Harbaugh was thinking. And I noticed, too, I know Kansas City's offense is amazing, but there were a couple times where – Baltimore went for it on fourth down, like not even like past midfield. And it was kind of early in the game and they were fourth and short. So it wasn't like they were going for it on a ridiculous distance, but with it being so early in the game, I don't know if that might've hurt them too. Cause one I saw where they got it, but then just a few plays later they had fourth down again and then they didn't get it. And that gave Kansas city the ball at like midfield. And I don't remember exactly what happened after that. Cause I wasn't watching this, whole game in its entirety all the way through but I'm wondering if Baltimore was almost a little too aggressive trying to outscore Kansas City knowing they weren't going to be able to fully contain them but it'll be it'll be interesting though to see if these two teams end up meeting in the playoffs like it'll be a game that I would definitely watch it would it'd be an exciting rematch so all right. Well, well, especially a head scratcher with the like you know you mentioned that there was the two point conversion. Like I know when you were talking about it, it was later in the game, but there was also the very first touchdown that they got and they went for two. And it's like, why would you like if you like I know you're trying to outscore them, but like if you don't get it, you just keep putting yourself in a hole. And I mean, and it's not like you know the Ravens are one of those teams that have kicking problems. I mean, they got Justin Tucker, who's like yeah. probably the best kicker in the league right now. That's probably what it was then, because when they had that earlier touchdown, if they had just kicked the extra point, when Kansas City scored their last touchdown, they would have had 29, and then going for the extra point to put it down by three. But then when they got that last touchdown, they had to go for two, because right point only gets yep. you down four. So. Yeah, yeah, it's it, like, yeah, I don't know it, why. A head scratcher for sure. I mean, I can't say I'm upset. I'm happy. I'm happy whenever the Ravens lose. So, <laughs> yeah, you're a Steelers fan, true. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So the next game oh, here, oh and four are for the AFC North this week. <laughs> Oof. <laughs> Oakland at Minnesota was the next game. Uh, Minnesota won 34-14. Kind of a boring win from what I saw people say on Twitter. How it was just like, just kind of like a tip like an easy win for Minnesota. They didn't really have to do much. It wasn't like flashy or anything like that. Uh, Oakland's getting panic bone now. They've lost two games. Um, and then the next one, the Jets at New England, we all expected this to be pretty lopsided. Uh, New England won 30-14. And then Detroit at Philly. Connor was the only one getting Are still undefeated. They beat Philly 27-24. Uh, Carolina at Arizona. Carolina won 38-20. And I was the only one getting this one right. And then the Giants at Tampa Bay. Giants won 32-31. And nobody got it right. This was Daniel Jones' first start. And I watched this game, so I know uh, I followed it. It was a really good game to watch. Uh Tampa was pouring it on early, especially Mike Evans. I mean, you could tell that Jameis Winston was just targeting Mike Evans on every play. Janoris Jenkins did such a bad job that he was 
he let up the most yards of any defensive player to a single receiver in in the past like 17 or 18 years. Uh, so he had like a historically bad performance on Mike Evans today. So Mike Evans had almost 200 yards and three touchdowns. And late in the game, and, and Jameis Winston played pretty well for most of the game. Uh, late in the game, he threw an interception that, that really turned up to hurt them. And then another problem for Tampa that really cost them the game was, was the special teams. Uh, rookie kicker Matt Gay, he missed an extra point early, and then he had an extra point blocked. And credit to him for that. He went, he made four field goals, and a lot of them were from like 50 yards and 40 yards. So he made some really deep field goals. But then uh, at the end of the game, when the Giants, after the Giants scored on fourth and five in the red zone, uh, they had a deep bomb to Mike Evans to set up for a chip shot field goal to win the game in a walk off. And I mean, they even like, Jameis even like spent up down to like kneel it to get to like where he wants to kick from, like the hash marks and stuff. And, uh, and so he missed it though. And, and he missed it wide, either left or right. But it was wide pretty right. Off. It was, yeah, okay, it was right. It was, it was off. And I know it's windy. I know it was windy in Tampa, but still, I mean, you got to make that at the end of the game to win. And uh, so the Giants won, but really. They really shouldn't have won, in my opinion. I mean, Daniel Jones, he was pretty good in the game, especially for his first start, but uh, his lack of pocket awareness, I think, is going to be his downfall. If he can improve that, he might be an okay quarterback, but, I mean, he took some sacks that were kind of, that were avoidable, I thought, and then he had two fumbles that were pretty bad. And another thing I want to say about Tampa Bay is uh, is their defense, their defensive line anyways. Um, shoot, what was uh, Shaq Barrett? Uh, he is the leading defensive player of the year, in my opinion, for uh, to win that award because he's got eight sacks in the first three games. I mean, he's putting up sacks like, nobody's business so that's kind of surprising that he's having such a great season right now but uh those are my takeaways from the game and then houston at the la chargers houston wins 20 to 27 to 20 and connor and i got this one right pittsburgh at san francisco san francisco wins 24 20 uh connor was the only one getting this one wrong he said that this is it for pittsburgh if he gets this one wrong he's not gonna pick them again so i don't know well well i'm next week i might have to go back on that because next week they're uh <coughs> cincinnati is playing in pittsburgh so okay. <laughs> that seems like a winnable game but yeah. any and any games where like we're because we were expected to lose this game so in any games where we're expected to lose i'm gonna pick the other team because i mean i mean the fact that pittsburgh couldn't win this game was i mean I don't know if this is a sign of things to come with Mason Rudolph, but I mean, the fact that he only had 40 yards passing at halftime, and the fact that the Steelers still couldn't win the game after forcing five turnovers, it's like, how? 
I mean, the Steelers have done everything they can to help Mason Rudolph. They've built up the defense. You know, they've got young wide receivers, young running back, probably the best offensive line in football. And, like, it's just got to come down to Mason Rudolph in the end. I mean, I don't know if there's there's no one else to blame except Rudolph. I mean, I know <clears throat> James Conner had a fumble towards the end of the game. That cost them. Like, they put, it put San Francisco in a position to win. But still, I mean, the Steelers gave Mason Rudolph so many opportunities to put points up on the board and drive down the field. And he just didn't do it. So, um, like I said, hopefully this isn't a sign of things to come, but... If I if I have to put blame on the, on anyone in this game, I have to one hundred percent put it on Mason Rudolph. Okay. Uh, New Orleans at Seattle. The next game here, New Orleans won thirty three twenty seven. Uh, Nate and I were the only ones getting this one right, and the score is closer than it looks. New Orleans really had a big lead, and Seattle kind of got a garbage time touchdown to to make it look closer than it really was. Uh, the Sunday night game, Rams at Browns. Uh, the Rams won this 20 to 13, and Nate was the only one getting this one wrong. And uh, Connor, you watched this game, so you you can share your thoughts about it. Yeah, I mean the the it's really the Browns. Just I mean, we all talked about it at the beginning of the year that none of us believed the hype around Cleveland, and I think this game showed it even more. I mean, okay, now you have another opportunity to play a good team like at home in front of your home crowd and the Browns just couldn't get it done Baker Mayfield again he didn't look like you know the Baker Mayfield of last year and like making some poor decisions because the Rams certainly made mistakes I mean Jared Goff also made some pretty bad throws and like he threw a pick here and there and Todd Gurley really wasn't that effective in this game so the Cleveland defense held the Rams to in check but Mm -hmm. You know, I just, just Cleveland can't get it done. And, you know, the beginning of the year, we were talking about, oh, Cleveland's going to be, you know, they're going to go 13-3. and three. They're going to be like the next dynasty. Well, certainly not looking very good for them being, sitting at 1-2 and two after the first three weeks. And your, yeah. only win, and your only win coming against the New York Jets. So, yeah. Um, so <laughs> here's the... Obviously Monday night tomorrow. Yeah, so we, we still have our Monday night to be determined. But... Right now, here are the NFL game standings for the season. Nate and Connor are tied for first place right now. I am one game behind them, and Eric's two games behind them. And we are different on the Monday night game. So basically, it's anybody's game. Anybody's <laughs> anybody can win this thing. Well, like it's yeah. If if Chicago wins tomorrow, it could be it will be a three way tie for first place if Chicago yeah. wins tomorrow. No, I'll be Eric won't. Oh yeah, yeah, three way, yeah. four way, yeah, 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 um, three way tie for first. But I really yeah. made some ground this week. If you are watching these, I'm in the left column here. It's a lot of green. I like to see. I I kind of goofed on a lot of picks last week, but I made out this week. So. <laughs> like picking Miami, <laughs> to Miami over New England. If they had won that, I I'd be putting that everywhere in, in the world. Uh, but. With, with our final topic today, guys, uh, we want to talk, you've been seeing this here in the corner, young quarterback expansion, so to say. So there was a lot of young quarterbacks starting this week, 24 and under specifically. And there's a couple 25 and 26-year-olds too. But, uh, I mean, for so long, it seemed like there was a lot of older quarterbacks in the league. And now it's almost half the teams are, are starting 
these rookie or first year or second year quarterbacks. And the the list here isn't in any particular order. It's just kind of what I who I thought of first when I thought about youth and, and stuff like that. But the bolded ones are first round picks, so they're ones that are supposed to be taking their you know the futures of their teams. The non bolded ones we're not really sure about. Uh, Luke Falk here at the bottom probably not gonna. He's probably the least you know likely to continue on this list. You could put Sam Darnold instead of him, but Sam Darnold didn't start this week. But I heard people comparing Mahomes and Lamar Jackson to being the future of Tom Brady versus Peyton Manning, and I really got to disagree with that. I think that's such, you know, that's not even close to being fair because Mahomes is just so much better, I think, than Lamar Jackson than Tom Brady and and, uh, Peyton Manning are to each other. Um, And I know Mahomes has got a really good team around him, but still, he's he's the future of the NFL at the quarterback position. And so far, he hasn't showed any signs of slowing down from where he left off last year. And when I'm looking at at these teams here, Mahomes, I think, has a really positive future. I think Lamar Jackson's got a positive future, too. Minshew is going to be really interesting to see how he does because if he can keep this up, I think that the Jags are going to take their time with Foles and make sure he's 100, 100% healthy, you know, than if they were desperately needing Foles back. So he's an interesting one to look at, and he's, you know, promising, I would say. Uh, Mason Rudolph didn't look very good from this game, like Connor talked about. So I don't have that much confidence in him that he'll be the future of the team. Uh, Daniel Jones is going to be the future of the Giants, but I'm still holding out. I'm still doubtful of that and everything. People got so worked up over one win, and I'm that's why I'm not saying Minshew is like Tom Brady. Like you know, it's just one win you got. Uh, Rosen, I don't think he's going to be doing much. He's honestly, if I'm going to predict an early retirement, it's going to be him. And then Josh Allen, I think, is going to be a quarterback. It's going to be interesting because if Buffalo can get some better offensive pieces there, I think he can do a lot better. But, I mean, so we haven't seen this season then go up against a, a really quality opponent. We'll get that next week. And then Kyle Allen is going to be interesting, too, because if Cam, if he plays as well as he did in this Arizona game, you got to think that the Panthers might trade Cam Newton or try and see what they can get for him and move on to Kyle Allen uh, if he keeps playing this well. And then Baker Mayfield, I thought, would you know take a step forward this year. It seems like he's taking a step back. There was one play in the Sunday night game where – he almost, you know, he fumbled it, but he recovered it, and he tried to hand the ball off to Nick Chubb, and it didn't make any sense at all because there, there was like so many Rams players around them, like sack, about ready to sack him. Like, just go down with the ball. Like, if you hand it off, like he's not going to get but more than one yard, and uh, it, it caused a fumble. They were lucky enough to recover it, but that was kind of that was that looked pretty poor in my opinion. That wasn't smart. Uh, Kyler Murray is too early to tell, but he looks like he's pretty good. He puts up big numbers. 
that's just a bad team. Deshaun Watson, I think, is pretty good, but he's got to have a better offensive line, or else he's going to have a, uh, or else he's going to be getting hurt every other year. Yeah, Luke Falk we talked about, and Goff. I don't think Goff's been that great. I I think Goff's a system quarterback. If I had to put a label on him, but uh, but yeah, I'll let you guys run down. You guys don't have to talk about everyone, but just kind of you can give your thoughts on on some ones that you know more about. Well, I, I have to agree with you on the Patrick Mahomes Lamar Jackson thing. Like, I mean, I still think Lamar Jackson is pretty overrated like i mean obviously the obviously the first two weeks they played arizona and miami and like this week again i mean sure he made some good plays and the ravens put up points but again kc doesn't have a very good defense i mean and for most of that game kc's defense was actually holding him in check it wasn't mm-hmm. until the fourth quarter when the ravens actually started to fight back and i think he probably caught the chiefs off guard a little bit like oh man like they're still like you know really playing hard but yeah, so I really I got to wait for on Lamar Jackson to see him play like a good defense. And so because like you said, I agree. Patrick Mahomes is just on a completely different level than Lamar Jackson. I mean, he was MVP last year. He put up some of the biggest numbers in history for, I mean, for not just a rookie quarterback, but for a quarterback in general. Um, and he I mean, like you said, he hasn't lost a step. Uh, Minshew, I didn't watch the Jaguars game, but we'll see how that goes because obviously, you know, they just gave Nick Foles that contract, and if Nick, if Minshew starts playing well, there's going to be all the uh, noise from the fans in Jacksonville, like, oh, well, keep starting Minshew, keep starting Minshew, but they just paid Nick Foles to come in and do that job, so I'll be interested to see how that works out. Rudolph, I mean, you know, I really wish we hadn't to trade Josh Dobbs, because I knew at the start of the year that I thought Dobbs would be better for the the team. I mean, he had the in-game experience, and Rudolph just looked completely terrible. Like, aside from, like, that one throw to uh, Deontay Johnson, it was a pretty, be- a pretty, pretty pass. Um, other than that, he looked pretty terrible. Daniel Jones, one game, can't tell much from one game. Uh, you know, you see it a lot of times with these young quarterbacks. They'll have, like, a really decent rookie year. But then, you know, come sophomore year, everybody has game film on you. So it's really your second season when you can tell, which is why I agree with you on Josh Rosen. Like, I I don't think he's going to be – he's going to be a bench warmer. I mean, he's going to go the way of guys like Matt Leinart and, um, you know, Vince Young, like early draft picks that are just going to ride the bench their whole career. Josh Allen, I mean, he's looked really good the first three weeks. Like you said, Buffalo just doesn't have any offensive weapons, really. I mean, John Brown's their number one receiver, and their offensive line still isn't great. So uh, I'd love to see Josh Allen, how he would perform on a team that has weapons. Like maybe, you know, we could somehow work out a deal here where the Steelers can get Josh Allen from the Bills. (laughs) You know, he's got weapons and an offensive line around him. I'd love to see him perform with that. Um, Kyle Allen, yeah, I mean, I said that I think, you know, I didn't think after this year, but I did say that I thought Cam Newton's uh, days were limited. And, yeah, I agree that if, if Allen keeps this up, then, you know, he's probably, the Cam Newton era is probably going to be done in Carolina. Baker Mayfield is looking a lot worse this season than he did last season. I mean, maybe it's just early season rust, but it could be like what I said earlier about, you know, 
they the teams have game film on him now and they know how to play against him. So Kyler Murray, I think, is actually going to – he's the one, like, rookie quarterback this year that I was really skeptical of him at first, but I do think he's going to turn into a really good quarterback because I think he – I mean, I don't think I've ever seen a rookie quarterback who has, like, consistently thrown for 300 yards over the first few weeks games of his career. So I think if they can just give him, like, an offensive line, really – then and if the Cardinals can get some semblance of a defense, I think the Cardinals could actually, you know, they could be making some strides here in the next couple of years with him at quarterback. Deshaun Watson obviously needs an offensive line. That's all to say about him. And then Goff, um, yeah, I would love to see Goff play not on the Rams. Like where, <laughs> like how would he do outside of Sean McVay's team? I mean, it's one thing I've always said about Tom Brady too. I would love to see Tom Brady like play somewhere else other than new England, because I mean, this is getting into another topic a little bit, but just briefly, like, you know, you see teams like Pittsburgh and green Bay and, you know, Indianapolis, when it was Peyton Manning, when their quarterback goes down, those teams collapse. Like the Steelers are collapsing right now, but the Packers collapse without Aaron Rodgers. The Colts collapse without Peyton Manning. The Patriots don't collapse when Tom Brady goes down because they've got that Bill Belichick system running around. So I would love to see Tom Brady playing for a different team. And would he have that same effect? Like, yeah. you know, would like if he played for Cleveland, if he went down, would Cleveland collapse or would Cleveland still be able to, you know, hang in there? Like obviously not win as much as they would when he was in, but would they still hang in games? So and I think it's the same way with Goff. Like, I don't think the Rams would collapse without him. I think they still have plenty of team around him to, you know, make it work. So we'll mm-hmm. see where he goes. Yeah, and for me, I mean, Zach and Connor have obviously made a lot of great points about all of these quarterbacks. So I'm not going to go into too much detail on these. But with the initial discussion of the Mahomes and Lamar Jackson being the next Peyton Manning and Tom Brady rivalry, I would think it would be more likely, and not that I even fully agree that this will happen, but if I had to say like who I think would be that rivalry, I would say it would be more likely to be Mahomes and Deshaun Watson over Mahomes and Lamar Jackson. Because this Ravens-Chiefs game, this was the, really the first game that I watched this year with the Ravens and Lamar Jackson relies on his legs too much and eventually like that's going to get him hurt it has it hasn't happened yet but when you're reliant on that we see it happen all the time with mobile quarterbacks that when they rely on their legs and run around all the time they're going to take big shots that they shouldn't take and it could eventually happen. And I also, with the him relying on his legs, it worries me too because that tends to make me think that you're, you could be missing receivers, but when the pocket starts breaking down, when your first instinct is to run like that, it's a similar thing that Mitch Trubisky has been doing with the Bears this year. And obviously they've had different results, but Lamar Jackson's still had a fairly good season so far, but I am in agreement with Connor that I do feel like he is a little bit overrated. I I definitely think the Peyton Manning and Tom Brady rivalry comparison is definitely uh, 
definitely a stretch for sure. Like I said, if I had to predict who would be that rivalry, I would say it would be more likely to be Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson obviously needs a lot of help at O-line, but he's got great weapons around him like Mahomes does, and he's had plenty of times where he's lit up defenses. So, And he's done it more consistently than Lamar Jackson has so far throughout his career. So we'll see. I mean, I've got Lamar Jackson on two fantasy teams, so I'd like him to keep <laughs> the production he's been doing. Hey, uh, rushing yards are, are more valuable yeah. than passing yards. So. Yeah, I mean, they are. But like I said, I worry that he's going to get yeah. injured doing that. And, you know, I he – you know, Cam Newton does that too. I think we've mentioned this too, but obviously Lamar Jackson's nowhere near as big as Cam Newton. But even look at the injuries like Cam Newton's finally been starting to deal with here recently. So he's not going to be able to rely on his legs forever. He's going to have to be able to be more of a pocket passer. But as for Gardner Minshew being a Jags fan, I mean, I'm really excited about him. When I saw him in preseason, though, I thought he was trash. But. <laughs> I, I think it's helped, though, that he's actually gotten to play with the first-team O-line and receivers, whereas in the preseason he was primarily playing yeah. with the backup players, and he didn't get to play with the starters at all. But I think now that he's gotten to play with the starters, that that's definitely helped him in, in the short time. You know, in the two games that he's played in, Fournette hasn't really been able to generate anything in the run game. But So, I mean, he's been our offense in these last two games. So if he'll be able to keep this up or not, I don't know, but... For now, I'm riding the wave. It will be interesting to see what happens when Foles comes back because I would say if maybe Foles got hurt in, like, the third game and he hadn't been doing well in the first two or three games at all, then he got hurt when Minshew came in. Like, I would definitely stick with Minshew, but Foles only got, like, two series before he got hurt, and he did throw a nice touchdown pass, so... While getting hurt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he got, he took a big shot on that play, but I mean, still, so it's, it's not like Foles was garbage before he got hurt or something. So, well, it, <laughs> on Foles how, is, this is classic Foles, though. You know, right when the playoffs come around, put him in and you know, <laughs> take us on a playoff run, hopefully. That's the hope, man. <laughs> so, so you're saying Minshew's going to get injured, is what you're saying at some point. Yeah. <laughs> <I mean, laughs> That's the thing. It's going to be interesting to see, like, depending on how well Minshew's doing, do they, if he's doing well, do you stick with him or do you, you know, stick Foles back in since that's what you're paying him to do? The Jaguars are going to have an interesting situation. I, don't, the mo- I, I disagree with you, Eric, about the money thing. I think at this point that doesn't matter at all. You well, put out who you think is the best person. You don't put someone out because you but that's what money. I'm saying, though. They yeah. – they, they paid him to be, like, the guy, and he hasn't really had a chance to prove that yet. Now, if Minshew wins, like, the next eight games or something, like, I would hope yeah. they stick with him. But if we're, like, <laughs> you know, if we're, like, five and five or six and four, like, and we're kind of barely winning those games that we win, what do you do? Like, do you do you stick with Minshew because you have won some games, or do you go back to full since I, yeah. I you were expecting him to be the guy like that. That's they're going to have a really, I mean, like I said, unless like in these next like eight games before Foles is able to come back, unless like Minshew goes like eight and O or seven and one or one and seven and O and eight, like, you know, it would be really obvious what to do then. But if he goes like 500 during that stretch and we're, you know, 
six and five or something like that. It's going to be really interesting to see what they do. That's not a decision I would want to have to make. But anyway, I won't talk too much. Yeah, about that. no, it's it's definitely fascinating though because it is. It, yeah, we'll be it, talking about that obviously mm-hmm. as the season goes along. But Mason Rudolph, from what Connor said, wasn't good today. I was a little surprised at that because it seemed like when Roethlisberger went down last week that he did a pretty good job filling in, but he regressed this week. So we'll see what happens there. Daniel Jones, way too early to predict Josh Rosen. I'm not going to necessarily call him a bust just yet, just because he's been on two like really terrible situations in his first two seasons. I mean, one team gave up on him right away that didn't really have any talent to begin with. And their best player was out for the year. And then the, then he gets traded to a team that trades away all their other players. So I'm not ready to call him a bust just yet, but I'm hoping for him that he can maybe get in a better situation and really get a chance to prove himself. But he's definitely struggling right now, but I can't say that it's all him. Josh Allen's been good this year. It's going to be interesting to see what he is able to do in the future. Like last year, I thought he played really poorly for most of the season. I I wasn't really that impressed with him, but this year he's doing better. Kyle Allen, we'll see who did well today. Baker Mayfield, it's been really interesting. The only game I watched with him was the some of that Titans game in the first week, and he had some awful interceptions in that game. I That definitely had me concerned for Browns fans early. I think I mentioned when we did our division previews that I actually do, even though I've lived in Jack's for most of my life and now I live in Texas. I actually do know a couple of Browns fans and <laughs> I'd love for nothing more than the Browns to be good. And I thought going into the season that I wasn't sold on all those players that they got, but I thought, you know, if there was a time for them, that this was it, but they're struggling right now, other than beating a terrible Jets team, they haven't shown anything yet. Kyler Murray will see. I don't know if his, 300-yard games. I know some of that has come in garbage time, but they did have a comeback almost victory against the Lions when they tied in week one, so if he can start getting it together consistently throughout a whole, you know, four quarters every game, then he's going to be fun to watch. And I already talked about Deshaun Watson with the Patrick Mahomes comparison. Obviously, if he doesn't live up to that potential rivalry that I mentioned, I'll be fine with that since I hate the Texans. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then Jared Goff, I mean, I'm in agreement with Connor. I I don't, I just, he was terrible his rookie year, and then he got Sean McVay and then started doing better. I don't know how well he would do without him, but I also, I mean, I know if you even have a decent quarterback that you got to pay him, but that contract that he got was just insane. I mean, to be the number one paid quarterback. I believe he. I believe that contract was the highest paid, if I remember correctly. I think, it was, I think, it I think in some I category think, it was. I think it was, the highest, it paid, like, I think it was the highest guaranteed money. Yeah. yeah. Like, like Russell Probably. Wilson has the highest overall contract, but Goff has like the most guaranteed yeah. money. Okay. I knew it was like highest something. I mean, I wouldn't say he's worthy of that. I, I feel like that was a serious overpay by the Rams, but. I think a lot of yeah, these contracts have been overpays. <laughs> uh, yeah, but yeah, as uh, yeah, Zach said, it is interesting that you have all these you know, young quarterbacks who are playing right now. Not necessarily that all of them are playing great, as we've mentioned, but you know, you've got like over half of the 
about half of the starting quarterbacks right now are under the age of 25. So that that is pretty interesting. I hadn't even really thought about that. So that was a good topic, Zach. I, I enjoyed talking about this. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Well, and it's it's going to be interesting to see how the league transforms here because I don't know if I've mentioned this before, but I mean the fact that within probably two, three, four seasons, Drew Brees, Tom Brady. Philip Rivers, Ben Roethlisberger, those guys are all going to be retiring within mm-hmm. like two, three, four seasons. And Eli Manning, even though he's already been replaced. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see. Like, I know I talked to my dad about this, and it's like, you know, with all these young quarterbacks that are going to be taking over, is the league, because obviously the league is so pass-heavy now, but with all the struggles that a lot of these young quarterbacks have been having, is the league going to tr- kind of transform back into more of like a run first league? You know, like obviously some teams are still going to go pass first because they, they have, you know, like the Chiefs with Patrick Mahomes and the Texans with Deshaun Watson. But like for the teams like, you know, the Buffalo Bills with Josh Allen, who's doing like pretty good, but still not great. Or like, you know, the um, like the Dolphins with someone who's got Josh Rosen or even the Rams with Jerry Goff, who's not playing great. Mm-hmm. Are these teams going to, like, you know, start evolving to more run-heavy offenses? And are running backs going to start, you know, you know, obviously quarterbacks are getting these ridiculous contracts, but is it going to be running backs that are going to start getting these ridiculous contracts? You know, maybe Le'Veon Bell wasn't wrong when he wanted all that money because maybe he saw something that the league was going to become run-heavy in the future. So I don't know. We'll see when, when all those guys eventually retire. Yeah, it's it's a power shift for sure. Like all those guys you said are retiring, and now, and and even this week, just totally new quarterbacks. Like Andrew Luck left a couple of weeks ago, and now there's Brissett. Teddy Bridgewater, he's a little bit older, but he hasn't played in a couple of weeks. He's on, he wasn't on this list, but yeah, it, it's definitely going to be fascinating to watch. Um, every all, almost all these teams have a young quarterback that they want to be the replacement too, even with the older guys. But uh, yeah, so, so many different combinations. If, if we could see like, like Josh Allen, Kansas city or Jared Goff in uh, Tennessee or something like that, you know, just, it's just so interesting to see, are these guys like system quarterbacks or are they really something more than that? But, uh, but yeah, so, so that'll conclude this, uh, this show guys. Uh, thank you to everybody for listening and watching on YouTube, iTunes, Anchor, anywhere you, you found this. And uh, make sure to like and subscribe to those places. Uh, this, so we've got a, another prediction show that will come out on Friday. Friday. Yeah, it will come out on Friday. So stay tuned for that. And we'll update the Monday night game and that. We might talk briefly about it. If it's a crazy game, we'll talk about it. But if it's a regular old game, we probably won't. But, yeah, guys, thanks, thanks for listening. Bye. Peace.